0: Well, good morning, uh, church family. Our text this morning will be in the book of John, chapter 12. I I'd encourage you, if you have a copy of God's Word, you can go there. If not, it will be up on the screen. I'll, I'll give you a second to get there before we read. John, chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Amen, amen. That is our text this morning. Uh, In 1993, uh, the Washington Post in an editorial coined this new phrase called mission creep. And they were using it as a way to identify what was going on with the U.S. military presence in Somalia. And so as they explained it is that um, uh, initially uh, the U.S. had committed troops for a specific purpose and reason, uh, but over time gradually that reason began to change. And now that uh, term has kind of gained a life on its own, I see it bleed into other areas of life because I think it is very descriptive of what can often happen in our life, that uh, we can come to a a certain place in time with a certain objective, but over time that objective can begin to creep away from what we initially meant by it. And one of the things I've seen in my own life is that that can happen for me spiritually is that uh, when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, it was with an original intent and purpose and with an original focus in mind. But through different seasons and different circumstances of life, my gaze can begin to drift and my uh, motives can begin to drift and things can get off kilter from what they once were about. And I can think of that specifically in regards to ministry. When I first surrendered to the call to ministry, and that is definitely how I would say it, it was a moment of surrender where I knew Jesus was telling me one thing and I said, yes, Lord, to that thing. But that's been uh, now decades of my life ago. And so there's times when I have to reevaluate some of my motives, uh, engaging in ministry, engaging as a pastor and ask myself the question, like, am I still focused on the thing that originally got me into this path in my life to begin with, namely Jesus Christ? And so that's what I want to talk about with this this morning, and I love this passage. It comes right before the crucifixion, and so we're a, a couple of weeks past Easter where we celebrated that, but um, what's going on in the Gospels right here is that Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem leading up to the crucifixion. He is going to celebrate Passover, and what you caught right there at the beginning is it says that there were some Greeks who also came to Jerusalem for the festival. And so when the Bible says that identifies them as Greeks, they are non-Jewish people, But they are respecters of the Jewish faith. They are what they would call God-fearers. And so they were also in Jerusalem to observe this religious festival. And so coming into this story, I love one of the opening lines it gives us, because they were in Jerusalem for this festival, and they came to Philip, who uh, uh, somehow they knew that he was one of the people close to Jesus, and they make this statement. say, "'Sir, we wish to see Jesus.'" I love that. Um, if, if your Bible has the little heading like mine does, right above it says, some Greeks seek Jesus. And I love that word, seek, because it's a really good indicator for us this morning of the posture we should take through the entirety of our lives. We should be seekers of Jesus. And so I love just how simple their request is, that they have heard about Jesus, they have probably heard of some of the miracles, some of the teachings, and they have this opportunity where they are at the same place that he is, and their simple request is, we want to see Jesus. And I hope that can be something that uh, permeates this room this morning and all of our own individual hearts. I hope we are coming into church this morning with the desire to see Jesus. Because like I said, I know so often in my life, my desires begin to creep. And my focus begins to creep, and where I initially might have come in with an earnest and simple desire to see Jesus, sometimes that can stray towards other desires. And so uh, from Easter uh, on to today, we have been uh, tackling this theme that you see throughout the scriptures, and it's this idea of that as human beings, as the uh, created ones who bear the image of God, when we uh, came into this world with original design, God gave us this incredible gift of life that, he breathed into Adam and uh, kind of bestowed all of humanity with this imprint of his nature and being made in the image of God. But we have turned away from God and so through our own rebellion, death came into this world. So we moved from a position of life to death. But God did not leave us in that state and has been working redemption into his world that he created so that he could bring back his people into this position of relationship that he created us for. So although life has brought forth Death, through death, God has also brought forth life. So we've been unpacking that, and we see that most clearly in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he went to the cross and suffered a death that none of us could imagine, so that through that death, he could overcome sin in the grave and be raised back to life. And when we unite our lives to his, we are joined with that life. So that's what we have been talking about it. And you see this in multiple ways throughout the scriptures as both a physical reality, but also a spiritual reality. And so we saw it last week, if you were here with us, we looked at when Jesus raised somebody else back from the dead, the, the young girl who... Um, had uh, fallen asleep, as Jesus put it, who had died, and her family was begging Jesus, and Jesus raised her back to life, and so we see that that through death Jesus brought forth life. But the Bible also talks about it as a spiritual reality, and you see that you think about back to the garden with Adam and Eve, that when they rebelled and turned away from God, it's when it says that moment of death comes into the world. But what does God use? He uses what man meant for evil to turn about for good, and so you also get this correlation that God uses death to bring about life for his people. And so even you see that in the sacrificial system uh, as a way to uh, be close to God again. God uses death to cover up the sins of his people so that they could be still in that relationship with each other. And this is what Jesus teaches about what it means to follow him. And so these people are coming, they have heard of Jesus, they have heard of the miracles, they have some understanding that he is a teacher or a prophet or something, and their desire is we want to see Jesus. And so when they come to him and to hear what he is about, what does he say to them? He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There's this incredible paradox in the gospel, and he talks about it right there, this reality that if you love your life, you're going to eventually lose it. But he makes this promise, but whoever uh, hates his life in this world for my sake will gain it for eternity. There is this paradox, that there is this uh, freedom in coming to Jesus Christ, to submitting to God as Lord, but it comes through surrender. So freedom and surrender going hand in hand, death and life going hand in hand. There is this paradox when it comes to the things of God. And for me, I'll just tell you, as I have um, grown over my life and entered my adult years and evaluated the faith I was taught as a child, and if I still believe the teachings of the Bible, one thing I just can see over and over from the scriptures, this, this is not a man-made creation. Like, this is not, you know, if I was designing a religion, this is not how I would design a religion to work because mine would probably look a lot more, um, let's just say, uh, shallow and trivial and a lot more easygoing if I was in charge of what this next religious movement would look like. But when it comes to the things of Jesus, when people come to him and say, hey, what are you about? what are What is this thing that you are teaching? He says this. He says, you have to die. You have to die to yourself. And that through that death, God can do this incredible thing of bringing about life. One of the things it always just gives me a a good reminder of, uh, because in in this position, like being a church, we want people to come into this room. We want people to hear about the love and goodness and grace of God. So sometimes there's this temptation of, okay, we're just going to talk about these certain aspects of scripture. But when you get Jesus, it was really with the largest crowds that Jesus said the toughest things. And I think that's important for us to remember that we don't need to uh, sugarcoat this guy. gospel that has been proclaimed to us because through the power of Jesus Christ, life can occur in all of us. And I think that is um, something we need to take in mind this morning. And once again, if we have drifted from the idea of what is central to the gospel of making Jesus Lord of our life and being united in his life, what Jesus says about that, if you want to be my servant, you must follow me, which means we need to go where Jesus went and that is to our own death. And I think that is very important. Uh, One of the things I think we can just look around at life, including humanity, but just all of Like nature and creation, and one of the strongest instincts of any living creature is the instinct of self preservation. So, you, you can just see that, and I, I know I feel that in my own life, both kind of in an emotional sense, but also in a literal sense that, yeah, uh, you know, we get backed into a corner, you back any animal into a corner, they're gonna come out swinging because what is very intrinsic in being a, a living being is the idea of self preservation. Preservation, like we need that instinct strongly in us. And you only see a couple uh, of consistent examples, I would say, in uh, the human existence of people being able to overcome that very basic self-preservation instinct and instead turning towards self-sacrifice. And there's two examples, I think, that just make it the most clear. One is with parents. You will see a parent overcome that instinct to preserve themselves And instead, sacrifice themselves on behalf of their children. You can see that. You know, and probably as parents, a lot of y'all in the room, y'all have felt that before. Like, yes, I would, I would uh, turn it over in a heartbeat if it was on behalf of my child. I would uh, suppress that instinct I have to preserve my own life, and instead, I would sacrifice it on behalf of my kids. And the other one I think you see consistently is with soldiers. So I don't know about you. I love a good documentary or a good war movie, but you see that theme recurring over and over and over again. In fact, uh, you know, our, I'm super excited. Arlington, if you haven't known this, uh, won the bid to have the National Medal of Honor Museum. I'm really excited. It's not completed yet, but I think that's going to be really cool once it's in our city. And um, I remember reading a, a book as a kid about all these different Medal of Honor winners. You know, our highest military award we give out, and there are so many times that that medal is given out posthumously because the recipient of that medal did something that caused their own death but saved the lives of others. And so you can see that, that it goes against our very nature to sacrifice ourselves because we have this strong pull towards self-preservation, but we can see how that's been overcome at certain times. We see it with parents, we see it with soldiers, and we can probably all recognize the number one way we can overcome that instinct towards self-preservation and towards it, towards self-sacrifice, is love. And that's what you see in both of those examples, both in the example of the parent and in the example of the soldier. And if you hear those narratives and read those stories and listen to those documentaries over and over and over again, you would hear that from soldiers. It was about the man on my left and the man on my right. And any parent that has thrown themselves in the way of something oncoming towards their child, that would be the exact reason that it is because of love that they were able to uh, suppress one instinct for a greater instinct, and that through that, life can occur farther down the line. And that's what the Bible teaches. You know, Jesus even said that no man has greater love than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And that's the paradox of the gospel. That if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lay it down for Jesus Christ, God is going to use that self-sacrifice to bring about fruit in an incredible way that we cannot even imagine. But I love that Jesus recognizes that this is difficult for us as people, in Jesus being fully God and fully man, he makes that statement about, hey, unless it falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Then if you look at verse 27, and we get this in the account of the garden, but it's already uh, coming for Jesus at this moment. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name, So I love that Jesus recognizes that this is a difficult prospect for us of people, the idea of willingly dying to ourselves and taking on something else. He says that his soul is troubled, but I think he uh, gives us this, this key in that text. On how we also can, if we are choosing in this life that we want to follow Jesus and um, take seriously the things of the scriptures where Jesus said, hey, if you want to follow me, you got to die to yourself. I love what, what Jesus came and did on this earth is one of the things you get over and over again in him even stating his own central purpose is that he did not come to do his own will, but the will of the Father. And so Jesus is recognizing in and of himself, he says, my soul is troubled, but what should I say? Save me from this hour? But instead, he abdicates his own rule and reign of his life to the Father. And that's also a part of the Christian message that when we come to Jesus Christ and we do accept the forgiveness of our sins and our life, what we are supposed to be declaring is that Jesus is now Lord of our life. And we throw that word around a lot in a Christian setting, but sometimes we can diminish the meaning it has. It's that I abdicate any right and rule to make my own decisions because I am recognizing that I need a greater authority that is going to be in charge of my life. And so that's even what Jesus does. Hey, I'm troubled, but hey, I'm, I'm not going to try to avoid this. Father, glorify your name. I think there's such incredible freedom we miss in the opportunity to just submit completely to Jesus Christ as Lord. Because so often we are trying to struggle through this life and figure out what is going to be best for us, best for our families, what's the right decision to make, when what the Bible teaches is that we have abdicated those rights and they are now in God's hands. And so when we hit those moments of struggle of, hey, I know what is right to do, but I also know what my flesh is crying out for, what the Bible teaches is that in those moments, moments we're supposed to remember that we gave up rights to choose for ourselves what was best and so if you think about your lives and just the freedom that would come from a singular focus if our perspective in all things was father glorify your name that if we were choosing to live as Jesus did and dying to himself, both literally on the cross, but also in submission to the will of the Father in all the days he lived on this earth, imagine the freedom of having the responsibility of making our own decisions taken away from us. So when we hit those moments and we don't want to forgive that person, we can say, God, I don't want to forgive that person, but Father, glorify your name. You know, I don't want to give up part of my finances every single month, but Father, glorify your name. I don't want to make this move away from what is comfortable for me, but Father, glorify your name. I don't want to be the first person that apologizes and says that I'm sorry, but Father, glorify your name. I'm afraid of what will happen if I'm open and honest with people, but Father, glorify your name. Imagine the freedom you would experience in total surrender to the will of the Father if we are looking at the life of Jesus and wanting to come to him honestly and say, I just want to see Jesus. What is that life about? What is it like to follow you? It's a surrender to the will of God so that we don't have to carry the weight and burden of being in charge of our own lives. Because let me just tell you, uh, the common denominator in all of my bad decisions was me. And so imagine just the freedom of being able to unload that responsibility to the one who authored life in and of itself is the architect of our entire existence and is saying, if you just follow me, I will take that from you. I will be Lord. You can be my people. I will be your God. Just follow me. And that's what Jesus says. You know, that if if the seed remains by itself, nothing happens. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. Like I stated, I, I think there's always going to be the, the risk um, within the church of, of reducing the word of God to just the palatable parts. And so that's why I think it's so important that we do evaluate from time to time. Like, have, have we cre- crept away from what the Bible is actually taught about what it means to follow God? Because there are uh, enormous benefits to following Jesus. There are. There is the blessing of God that he bestows upon his people. But at, at at the root, central level of what it means to follow Jesus, it is one of surrender. And surrender is just not easy. And so it can be easy to uh, reduce the gospel to the parts that just make sense to us as people. You know, like, I'll, I'll take this part. I like the love, I like the grace, I like the forgiveness, but we forget that that goes hand in hand with surrendering to Jesus Christ and allowing him to be Lord and reign and rule over all the areas of our life. And so it's easy to reduce it. And so that's why I think we uh, so desperately need these moments where we reevaluate these passages and just also taking examples from the people that have come before us who have looked at the word of God and come to similar conclusions. So I like how C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. And so I love that because one of the things, once again, like as I read the Bible, like I know it comes from God because it pushes against a lot of my human instincts. And so the Bible really not in any of the places says that coming to Jesus is going to be the easy path in life. But I think intrinsically as humans, we all know it might not be easy, but it's true. You know, and, um, and maybe in my weak moments, I, I'm going to want to choose easy. But in my best moments, when I'm evaluating what I want out of this life, I would choose true over easy anytime. And I think we have to make that choice over and over and over again. So I love how the, uh, the German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said it really simply, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. And that is true. And that's what Jesus is teaching right here is that if you want to follow me, if you want to experience the the trueness and how Jesus says, if you want to experience life abundantly, the pathway to that life is through a death. And that's the death of yourself. And in fact, that's what we teach even as followers of Christianity. On Easter, we got to do a baptism, and that is signifying this very spiritual reality. And that's how the Apostle Paul, he describes it in the book of Romans, that when we are baptized, it's like we are buried with Jesus in his death, and then we're raised to walk in a newness of life. We are saying, uh, I am dying so that Christ can come to life in me. That is the, the symbolism of our faith, but it is also a spiritual reality we are supposed to walk in even to this day. That if we choose to die a thousand tiny deaths to ourselves, God is going to use it to uh, produce an incredible fruit and bring about life in our life. But it's not easy. And it's something as people that doesn't click very easily. So I love that after Jesus describes this to the Greeks, they come to him, say, we want to see Jesus. Jesus says, hey, you have to die. Then a voice comes from heaven. They hear that. Then Jesus says that um, he has to be lifted up. And it says he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Uh, But then it says the crowd kind of argues with him. And they look back at the Bible in some parts and it's like, But doesn't it say the Son of Man is supposed to remain for forever? And so I like that, once again, like the gospel just pushes against a lot of our human instincts. And I think about all the times uh, leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus with the disciples is like, hey, I'm going to die, but it's okay. Three days after that, you know, I'm going to be raised. And they're like, So when you say you're going to die, what you really mean is, like, over and over again, he has this conversation, and it's like they still don't get it. And I think there is a reality that God was revealing his will through that time, but I think there's also this very human nature that, like, when we hear something that does not click, with my human understanding of what's going to make life make sense, you know, I just kind of push against it. It's like, okay, God says, die to yourself or love your enemies. It's like, okay, but when you say love your enemies, like, this person you're not talking about that person, right? So we need these reminders, like, over and over again. And I think that's what's happening right here. They want to come see Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, you're, you need to die. And, hey, I'm about to die. They're like, but when you say die, like, you don't mean, like, die, die, right? It's Just like, it's just symbolic, right? And Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to have this opportunity for a little while. The lights come to you. You're being told exactly what it means to follow God and to have this relationship And he encourages them because he knows he's going to his literal death, not a figurative death, but his literal death on the cross. And he says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. I love that line because it makes me just think about all the times where I've tried to take the responsibility of being God in my own life and how, um, how limited My field of perception is when I am trying to control the world around me, when I have tried to take the position that Jesus should occupy my life and be the author of my own story, it's like I'm just walking around in darkness because I really don't know what's going on. But we have this opportunity that when we come to Jesus Christ, that he can be the light for us that he who experienced the death that I don't have to can bring about the death of myself so that he could live the life that I never could on my own. And so Jesus makes that really clear, verse 26. Whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Where did Jesus go? He went to the cross. What does the Bible tell us about what it means to follow Jesus? Jesus said it himself that we should also take up our own cross and follow him. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in the book of Galatians that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The message of the Bible is that we come to true life in Jesus Christ through death the death of ourselves, that collectively we need to take the same mindset that John the Baptist had when he said, I must decrease so that he may increase. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Uh, I love Sundays um you know we get to open up the bible any day of the week but there's something special that happens collectively when we come around uh to he- receive the the preached word and to collectively worship god and so i i do view every single sunday just as an opportunity i view it as an opportunity in, in my own life but i think it's also an opportunity for all of our lives that when we um hear the proclamation of the word and so what i, I love uh, john chapter 1 relates that jesus actually is the word um, that it is there is something special God has done in giving us his proclaimed word and that it um, somehow is also Jesus being received when we receive his word. And I, and I love in John 1 that it also talks about this idea of light. And it says uh, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And it is a um, just the tense of that verb. It is not a past tense. Jesus didn't shone in the dark. Jesus is continuing to shine In the darkness. And that's what he was saying to these people who were coming to seek him is like, hey, you have this opportunity when you encounter the light that you could experience it for yourself and that it could make you a child of light. And it's something you can take with you from this day forward for the rest of your life, that you will experience the freedom and the closeness of a relationship with your Creator when you die to yourself and you take on His life. And so I think that's an invitation to all of us today. And it's an invitation Jesus extends both to people who have already met him and known him and loved him and followed him, but it's also an invitation to those who have not yet begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as I uh, began this sermon, you know, I wanted to draw our attention to that reality that through times and seasons of our life, it's so easy to drift from our original purpose. And so I know when I uh, came into the faith in those moments of clarity, when I look at my life and look at what Jesus has done for me, when I realize like I'm that wretch that the Amazing Grace song talks about, that it's just so incredible that God looked at me and was willing to save me. But there is so often that my, uh, my perspective drifts from that and I can get just kind of out of whack of like, God, why aren't you doing what I want you to do? That I need those reminders and that invitation to walk in the light of Christ when I re- remember that I am most satisfied and honestly most happy, not when I am seeking myself, but I'm, I'm putting myself aside and choosing Jesus. And so I hope for all of us this morning that we would experience the freedom of surrender, not because it's easy, but because it's true. And that we would not drift from the, uh, the truth of God's word that the path to life is through death, that we would not try to take the easy route and miss the goodness that God offers us when we surrender to Jesus Christ, when we put him on the throne and realize that we don't have to be in charge of our own lives, but we can submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. We're going to end there. In, in, in a little bit, we're going to get the opportunity to take communion, uh, which is a, 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 just a great reminder, I think, coming off of reading this passage that we are uniting our life to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so once again, I love how Jesus never, he never sugarcoats his message. And so I love even a foreshadowing to the fact that his followers are going to take communion. He tells a crowd like, hey, if you want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, that's a hard saying. You know, and I think that was an honest response. And, some, and it says some people left after that. You know, and I can just imagine that if I heard that, I might be tend to like, I don't know, I don't, I'm not sure if I want a part of this. And But then Jesus turns to his disciples, and it's one of my favorite verses in all Scripture, and he asks Peter, he's like, hey, you've, you've heard what I've been teaching, do you want to leave also? And he says, where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. And so we don't come to Jesus because it's easy, we come to Jesus because he is truth. Would you pray with me?